Welcome into the fade. I'm Clay Travis. And guess what? I could barely miss a game this weekend. 11 and 4, white hot, 5 and 1 in the NFL, 6 and 3 in the college football. I hope you tapped the vein and respected the picks. We bring in now Todd Furman. Get your bets in. We're going to talk about Bears, Steelers, and the look ahead in the NFL and in college football in just a moment. But Furman, what do you think about my white hot nature? I hope you bet all the big games I told you to bet. If I bet all the games you've told me to bet over the years, I'd have been bankrupt long before I had enough bullets left in the chamber to fire into this weekend's board. But I do have to give you props. Uh, When you happen to land your bets, you did call Tennessee's outright upset. And what was one of the more entertaining college football games, not only of the weekend, but that we may see the entire SEC schedule. Uh, And I'll say one thing. I was a detractor when they brought in Josh Heupel. The returns, at least for year one, have definitely been promising ever since they made the switch from Joe Milton to Hendon Hooker. And we'll see what they're able to accomplish. Not probably pulling off the outright upset this weekend against Georgia, but definitely a bowl game in the future for the Vols this season. Uh, No doubt. Or I'll be at that game, by the way. The Outkick bus tour will be at Georgia, Tennessee, and Knoxville this weekend. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, Let's go right to the beginning here because I know a lot of people will be watching it. Bears-Steelers. Steelers are out to a seven-point favorite. I'm looking at the latest numbers right now on FanDuel as we speak. You can get your bets in at fanduel.com slash clay. That is five, fanduel.com slash clay up to $1,000, no risk. 40 and a half is the over-under. Steelers minus seven. 40 and a half is the number. What stands out to you, Furman, about tonight's matchup with the Bears on the road against the Steelers? A couple of interesting things in play. We know about how maligned this Bears offense has been. Dead last in terms of points per game. Dead last in yards per play effectiveness. And when you look at the offensive line, it's left Justin Fields running for his life. So clearly going into Pittsburgh against this tenacious defensive line, probably not a recipe for success. But at the same time, you do wonder how the Steelers will handle a little bit of prosperity. They, of course, upset the Cleveland Browns last weekend, a win that looks even better in the wake of the Browns' dominant effort yesterday at the hands of the Cincinnati Bengals. But the one thing we've grown accustomed to with Big Ben under center and Mike Tomlin as the head coach is that the Steelers thrive when they're catching points. They aren't exactly great covering numbers in the favorite role. And the last seven times they've been installed as a favorite, they're 0-7 against the spread. I mean, earlier this season, we saw Pittsburgh fail to find separation against the likes of Geno Smith and the Seattle Seahawks. I do think the Steelers win, but I would not be running to the window to lay more than seven in this game, I mean, having to win by eight or more in this particular spot, I could very realistically see this game 21-17, somewhere thereabouts. So with lean first half under and the Bears, plus those generous points. Anybody you like for potential first touchdowns? Any props that stand out to you for Monday night? Yeah, I mean, I think we've seen running quarterbacks offer all sorts of value week in, week out in this particular market. And maybe there's a chance that the Bears are creative on their opening drive with a design quarterback run should they get themselves into the red zone. So I would take a flyer with Justin Fields to be that guy. I mean, over 100 yards rushing last week against the 49ers. I know it came in a loss, but coming into that spot, he only had 140 rushing yards total on the season. I think that knee that was slowing him down a little bit is healed up. So it wouldn't shock me at all if we get a little RPO, the Bears are able to mount to drive early. So I'll take a flyer on Justin Fields at a price well north of 10 to 1. All right, let's do some NFL talk here. How about my Titans last night whipping the Rams? I mean, and this is the storyline. I'm going to talk about this. A dominant offensive effort, hold, Clay. Dominant, hold on, all 195 hold on. yards. No, you're, you're, mis, you're misstating here what's going on. The Titans okay. remade their defensive line in the offseason. 
Jeffrey Simmons now paired uh, with Autry and you have have, uh, starting to get a little bit more healthy Bud Dupree paired with Harold Landry. This is a foursome that is on the defensive line that wreaked havoc with the Rams and their ability to block. They have defensively taken a massive step forward. And on the offensive side of the ball, yes, look, A.J. Brown dropped two first downs. Should have been easy first down catches. Who knows offensively when they might have put that game away a little bit earlier. But the defense is rounding into shape where the defense is starting to look like as people get healthier a top 10 caliber NFL defense. We already know, look, Derrick Henry is going to be his absence is going to be felt uh, and we'll see whether they can manufacture some running back performances from Deontay Foreman and Adrian Peterson. But if Julio and A.J. Brown are going to be healthy this is a offense that has top 10 scoring potential when needed. This is a team sitting at 7-2 and two, if they can get past uh, the Saints and then obviously they still have two games left against the Texans. Furman, this is a team that could be the overall number one seed in the AFC. I'm not going to argue that they can be the number one overall seed in the AFC. The path is extremely favorable. They've navigated Easiest schedule. They had, by the way, the most difficult schedule for the first uh, nine games of the season in the entire of the NFL. The easiest remaining schedule for the remaining eight of any team in the NFL. You know, imagine how good that resume would look if you hadn't lost to the Jets as a six-point road favorite for that trip to MetLife Stadium. But to the Titans' credit, I mean, the last four weeks, they've answered the bell at every challenge. You're talking about outright upsets against the Rams. Of course, last night, you saw them go on the road, win in Indianapolis. And then in the span of six days, they, of course, upended the Chiefs in dominant fashion and held on against the Buffalo Bills with that late goal line stand. So defensively, I agree. This defensive line has really come together. We knew this was an area of concern coming into the year. And my assessment of the Titans on the whole was that, hey, look, as long as this defense didn't fall further towards rock bottom like we saw last year, the only way that they could go would be up. And it's reaping the benefits right now. Clearly, they created two short fields. You had that pick six and a two-yard touchdown drive, which allowed them to play on their front foot against the Rams team that really had no answers in protection to try and keep Matthew Stafford upright. I think he was sacked a total of five times, and you're talking about a quarterback who came into that game with a bad back. So not going to be a detractor by any stretch of the imagination there. Let's see how the Titans look offensively going forward, though, because if you do want to be a true bona fide number one seed in the AFC and look every bit the part, like you said, they're going to have to figure out what their rushing game identity is like without Derrick Henry. We know none of those guys that they currently have on their roster are going to be able to replicate it. But I think Ryan Tannehill still using play action. If they can keep A.J. Brown and Julio Jones out there, uh, we'll definitely set them up nicely. From a betting perspective, though, I don't think you're going to have a whole lot of value betting on this team. And the reason I say that, when you look at their 7-2 and two record, there's still a net negative yards per play metric, which is unheard of for a team through nine games. So let's see if there's a little bit of regression in how things look. Uh, But through nine games, they've definitely looked apart, and I think the defense will continue to get better and put you guys in the driver's seat for that potential number one overall seat in the AFC. Uh, All right, let's look ahead a little bit. I know it's early. We've got the game tonight, like we were talking about, the Bears-Steelers. Let's consider what's going on right now in the NFL going forward. Uh, We've got a pretty good game on Thursday night, at least the Ravens, who are 6-2, and going on the road against the Dolphins. Again, intriguing. Cowboys fell apart uh, against the Broncos in one of the most surprising outcomes. 
Uh, the Saints are going on the road against the Titans. That's a pretty good matchup. Uh, looking here, Browns, Patriots, both teams are over 500. Uh, that will be an intriguing game. Uh, Chiefs, Raiders, the Raiders, all sorts of off-field related shenanigans. What stands out to you early looking ahead at the NFL slate? I think the Browns-Patriots game is fascinating for a variety of reasons because we all started to worry about Cleveland. This was a team picked by many to get out of the AFC before the season started. They've dealt with a rash of injuries. Uh, they were anemic offensively. The Odell Beckham Jr. drama, what have you. They come out and they put together their most complete performance both on the offensive and defensive side of the ball yesterday and remind us why this can be a team and a force to be reckoned with if they get back to their DNA, which is running the football, leaning on Miles Garrett and company to apply pressure and getting healthy in the secondary. Denzel Ward makes such a difference. As far as the Patriots, I mean, they're figuring things out little by little. The defense looks to be uh, probably the strength of this team and offense with Mac Jones at the helm, more of a caretaker group, but they are establishing a ground game. We saw Ramondre Stevenson get involved. We know what Damian Harris can do. And I think the Patriots are an intriguing team, especially given some of the struggles from the Buffalo Bills. So for me, that's a game that I definitely want to keep tabs on. You mentioned the Dallas Cowboys. That was probably the most enigmatic and disappointing performance of the entire week. Getting down by 30 points to the Denver Broncos, despite being a 10-point favorite. Yes, the score looked a little bit closer on final inspection with Dallas getting points in garbage time. But this game clearly means a little bit more as well for the Cowboys defensive coordinator, Dan Quinn, going up against his old team. The Falcons, oddly enough, is the season, if the season ended today, I believe would be the seventh seed in the NFC. So credit to them and what Arthur Smith has kind of cobbled together. But I think Dallas could break out in a big, big way. I think Atlanta's defense leaves a lot to be desired. You know, they tried to do everything they could to give that game away last weekend. And then when you look at, you know, Sunday night right here in my backyard, you talked about a Raiders team in turmoil. You know, you're cutting ties with another first-round draft pick in Damon Arnett, who, I mean, had a checkered pass to begin with. I'm surprised he's lasted on the roster this long against the Kansas City Chiefs team that still continues to struggle offensively, but has quietly played a lot better on the defensive side of the ball over the last couple of weeks. So Kansas City, I think if they can get it figured out offensively and there's no reason to believe they won't, and the defense trends in the right direction, still going to have a big hand in what goes on in the AFC determining who can punch their ticket to Los Angeles. Uh, college football, Thursday night should be an entertaining one. UNC Pitt. There's some games out there. I'm just going to kind of run through them. I'll have my picks up on Wednesday. Mississippi State at Auburn. Intriguing. Uh, Georgia at Tennessee, as I mentioned, will be there with the OutKick tailgate tour. The last chance, I would say, to the extent that there's a chance at all that anybody in the regular season could give Georgia a little bit of a run. Uh, You've got Texas A&M going up against Ole Miss. NC State, Wake Forest, Uh, A lot of interesting games that maybe you didn't think would be interesting coming into the season. What stands out at you, Furman? Well, I think the game uh, going on between Texas A&M and Ole Miss is the game that that I want to see unfold because you have an offense that's been extremely dynamic all season long at Ole Miss. But I think what also gets lost on people is how much this Ole Miss offense leans on its ground game above all else. But all expectations and signs point to Ole Miss being healthier at the skill positions this week than they've been over the last handful of weeks. I think they were pretty fortunate to get to the window with a cover against Liberty on Saturday. It was more Malik Willis with brain cramps every time Liberty had a chance to find a way into the back door. But in comes Texas A&M. And you can make the case that other than Georgia, this is the second best defense in the entire country. We'll put them in the same vein as the Wisconsin Badgers. 
And when you look at AM offensively, Zach Calzada was good on the opening drive, struggled mightily in the middle. Uh, but this is an AM team that I think can run the ball effectively with their two-headed monster against the against the Rebels. And right now, I would say, and I know they beat him on the field, but the power numbers didn't suggest it at the time and still probably don't for most folks. I would make Alabama a favorite. I think Texas A&M is a better football team at this juncture of the season than Alabama. And the reason I say that isn't because of quarterback play where Alabama has a massive edge. I just have major concerns about the Crimson Tide on the offensive line. It's an area that LSU was able to exploit that maybe Auburn can push them around in the Iron Bowl. And I get the feeling that there's a lot of optimism and reason for enthusiasm around what Jimbo has going on, a team with a settled quarterback spot trending in the right direction. And they had a massive recruiting coup over the weekend, I believe landing the number one prospect uh, in terms of college, you know, or excuse me, high school rankings going in. Still maybe some, uh, some uh, the, the hay's not all in the barn on that one before all is said and done. Although we'll, uh, we'll talk about that. Walter, Walter Nolan is the name. I wanted to hit you with, uh, with some numbers here. Georgia has allowed only 59 points through nine weeks of the season. Putting that into perspective, that's the fewest number of points that I believe has been allowed uh, at least in terms of nobody scoring 14 or more going all the way back to Alabama 1992. Georgia 59. Ohio, I wanted to compare them to the other top five at least in the, in the committee's rankings on uh, this past Tuesday. Georgia's given up 59. Ohio State's given up 171. Then you've got Bama at 179, Oregon at 202, and Michigan State at 204. Which leads me to this question. Are we underrating how dominant this Georgia defense has been particularly when you consider the era that we're in right now when points seem to rain down with, uh, with wild, uh, wild abandon on a regular basis except Georgia is playing defense like it's the 1970s or 80s. I mean, the way that Georgia can come at you in waves along the defensive line is incredible. I mean, what they've built there is a stockpile of NFL caliber talent. And for a lot of teams, they get overwhelmed in the trenches. And you watch them week in, week out. It's impossible to move the football against them. Now, because there's always a little bit of noise in the numbers, and I don't want to take anything away from what Georgia's been able to accomplish for a lot of the reasons that you outlined, talking about the era of college football we're in and everything else. But you go through the slate uh, of opponents that Georgia's faced, and you try and find the most dynamic offense that they've gone against. Clemson, we've seen them struggle week in, week out. Even back then, they didn't know exactly what they had for skill position talent. UAB, sure, it's a nice Conference USA program, but they don't have NFL caliber athletes. South Carolina, well, they didn't have quarterback play. Don't tell that to Todd Grantham, who lost his job uh, in the wake of South Carolina exploding against Florida, but another team that leaves a lot to be desired offensively. Vanderbilt, Arkansas, Auburn, Kentucky, all teams that adopt a run-first mentality, which we know doesn't work against this Georgia defensive front. I think that's why this game this weekend against Tennessee, despite a number approaching three touchdowns, is fascinating for a variety of reasons. Because if Josh Heupel can employ pace and tempo like we've seen the Vols do in the past and not allow Georgia those substitutions, kind of tire out some of those guys in the D-line, we know they're going to take deep vertical shots. And maybe there's a potential that Tennessee can put a little bit of a scare uh, into Georgia. I know they were able to mount a little bit of an attack against Alabama. So I think this game offers all sorts of intrigue. Uh, but let's not kid ourselves. This Georgia defense is every bit as good as advertised. And they may not get pushed even by Alabama the way things are trending right now in the SEC title game. 
you mentioned Florida for a moment there. What in the world? I mean, this is one of those fun, aberrant, wild outcomes. Florida was nearly a three-touchdown favorite on the road against South Carolina. And the money came in on the Gators because I bet on South Carolina early in the week. I said, look, I don't buy this Florida offense to cover 18 against anybody right now. I thought it was a crazy line. People disagreed with me because the number kept getting bet up all the way to 20 and a half and then boom, it's 40 to 10 South Carolina, 30 to 10 I think at the half. And so you end up with like a 40 point swing expected outcome versus reality. What happened in that game? What did people expect to see? And how in the world do you value Florida going forward given that Grantham's just been fired along with their offensive line coach? Things have come undone for Dan Mullen and the Gators. Oh, there's no doubt that things are completely off the rails in Gainesville. And what was the story I read that Anthony Richardson heard his knee dancing in the team hotel? I don't remember if it was the Friday going into this game uh, or the Friday the previous week. So clearly this is a Florida team right now. When you look at their upcoming schedule, yes, they're going to get bowl eligible, but kind of scary that they're four and five through the first nine games. And you mentioned it. They did take money from 17 and a half up to 20. South Carolina hit them in the mouth. And this was obviously the signature win of the early portion of Shane Beamer's return uh, in returns, excuse me, in Columbia. And this isn't the first time that Florida has lost outright as a double digit favorite. They did it a couple weeks ago against LSU. So you begin to wonder if Dan Mullen has lost the team. You talk about firing a defensive coordinator. I think Mullen has one year left on his contract. Is this a relationship with the university that's going to stick? We know the close knit ties between the AD and Mullen. I mean, these are guys have been, together since their days at Mississippi State. So I'm not sure if Mullen takes a job at the next level or how this relationship ultimately plays out. But clearly when you see the way that the SEC East isn't just a two-horse race anymore with Georgia and Florida, if Tennessee is on the upswing, the same thing as Kentucky, you begin to worry if you're a Florida Gators fan in terms of what it's going to take to try and resurrect this program and get them back to playing for national championships or something along those lines. I mean, at one point this year, Clay, I mean, I talked about Florida potentially being a dark horse national champion and after their close loss at home to Alabama, I couldn't have been more wrong with my assessment, but I didn't think the quarterback play would be this bad. I didn't think the defense would completely fall apart. But here we are with games against Samford, Missouri, and Florida State to close it out, where if they were upset by Missouri and Florida State, you could be talking about Florida finishing 5-7, and seven, a scenario I don't think is plausible, but Florida fans don't pride themselves playing bowl games you know, somewhere between December 26th and December 29th. No doubt. Um, and, and by the way, uh, as it pertains to Florida and kind of looking forward, Do you think there's interest in Dan Mullen at the NFL? And the reason why I ask is we know Cliff Kingsbury got fired by Texas Tech and then went in and took over at Arizona and actually it's been a great move for the Cardinals. Right now they're the number one team in the NFC and would have home field advantage throughout. He drafted Kyler Murray. His skill set fit better in the NFL than maybe it did in college. How would you assess here? Uh, Do you think there's real NFL interest in Dan Mullen or... Is this a situation where Florida and Dan Mullen may want to get divorced but neither side has really great options so they come back for another year? It's a good question because the one thing we've known about Dan Mullen as far as his personality, it's always been a little bit quirky. That's why initially everyone said it could be a good fit in Mississippi State where they do things a little bit differently sometimes than the rest of the SEC and he could go after a different style athlete to try and get him to fit in the system. 
you look at what Dan Mullen has done at the quarterback position. I mean, he was Dak Prescott's head coach in Starkville. He turned Kyle Trask into an NFL draft pick. So there is a little bit of that allure at the next level that Dan Mullen have put in the right lane as an offensive mastermind can really do some things. Have I seen enough over the last couple of years that if I'm a floundering franchise in the NFL that I want to make him my head coach? That's probably a leap of faith. But at the same time, you're right. I mean, when does Florida decide, all right, enough is enough? You haven't been able to identify a defensive coordinator and figure things out on that side of the ball. We expect to be a perennial top 10 team. And the distance is clearly widening between them and Georgia as Kirby Smart stockpiles four and five star recruits year in, year out. Here's a Florida team that if Florida State ever gets its acting gear, and I think they're headed in the right direction, and Miami can figure things out in terms of what's going on, where does it leave Florida in the state's pecking order? The last thing I think the Gators ever want to be is number three. Uh, and right now, I don't think they're there. But if you keep putting together seven and five seasons at best, it's not going to bode well in terms of the caliber of player that you're able to bring in up there. All right, last question for you. We'll be back on Thursday. Uh, I am Clay Travis. He is Todd Furman. It is The Fade. I encourage you to go get your bets in at fanduel.com slash clay. That is fanduel.com slash clay. Uh, Furman, what else stands out either on the weekend that was or the weekend that is to be in the NFL and college football? Uh, I think when you're looking at the NFL, we're reminded week in, week out why this league is so much fun to watch and can be so difficult to bet. Uh, when you see all the underdogs winning outright, of course, the Buffalo Bills go down as more than a two-touchdown favorite on the road in Jacksonville. Your Titans, of course, winning outright as a seven, seven-and-a-half-point underdog. So the allure, the appeal of this money line parlay that people think can be fool's gold, uh, I'd caution against that uh, in, in the National Football League. The other thing to incorporate in your handicapping is you look at the college football board, not only for some of the power conferences, but some of the group of five leagues as well. Try and identify teams that have five wins that are looking to get bowl eligible, especially programs that haven't been to the postseason in quite a bit of time. Those are the groups that you could find putting a little bit more emphasis in when they have two or three games remaining. You know, And also look at some of the senior days coming up uh, as teams will start to wrap up their home portion of the schedule as early as this weekend. Good stuff, Furman. We'll talk to you on Thursday. In the meantime, you can follow Todd Furman at Todd Furman. You can follow me at Clay Travis. This has been The Fade on OutKick.